It's time. Time for a thrilling story of romance, adventure, mystery, anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hello, and welcome to the show that usually ends, another episode of Interrupted Tales, the podcast where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I am Rob, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host and good pal, Alan. Alan, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob. You're, that was very heartwarming. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I shoot for here at Interrupted Tales. Now, this is the time of the show where we'd normally tell you about this week's story, but this is actually a very special episode of Interrupted Tales. Yeah, that's right, Rob. We've been doing this podcast for a good 20 episodes now, and we're proud of the work we've done, but we also feel like we've improved a lot of the things as the series has gone on, especially audio quality. So we figured the best way to highlight that is to put together some of our favorite moments in the show. That way, if you're a first-time listener, you get a quick introduction to the concept and our particular sense of humor, and hopefully you stick around for the rest. And hey, if you're already on board with this idea, hit subscribe on your podcast app and go listen to the latest episode. If you need a little convincing, though, here's the basics of the show. It comes out every Tuesday morning Eastern Time and should be ready for you by the time you go to work or stumble out of whatever random stranger's house you ended up in last night. The stories we read vary in length, and obviously so does the podcast. It's not TV, it's HBO. So we end when the story ends. And also there's a hell of a lot of nudity that doesn't really come through on the audio-only format, but we think if you listen carefully... Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna get the gist of it. Speaking of adult situations, this is a podcast for adults, so we use adult language. Yeah, just in the last episode, we used the word cloaca... A number of times, <laughs> but it was a it was a plot relevant use of the word cloaca. So <laughs> enough talking, Rob. Let's get to the part where we talk in pre-recorded excerpt clips. Let's start with our favorite episodes, and mine, without a doubt, is episode four, Tardis the Terrible. It's an incredibly simple plot: an evil baron locks up his romantic rival in a cage and taunts him for 10 pages. There's just something about a villain chewing up the scenery that is so much fun, and I just love the ridiculous impracticality of owning a home with a hidden torture chamber. Take a listen. On the day when first I saw you cast your eyes on Adrian, I had this chamber prepared. On the day she consented to marry you, the cage was placed in it. Uh, three days after the... Drywalling was finished, but they didn't do a good job sanding, so they came back after the weekend and did it again, and then I had to look over so many paint swatches. Twenty days later, my men waylaid you as you rode, singing through the woods. <laughs> tra-la-la, tra-la-la, on the way to my love, unmolested. As to Adrian, she does not know what has become of you any more than the rest of the world. Always accepting the good Pierre and myself. But one day she shall know. One day! Well, probably the day they sell the place. The <laughs> fully furnished 
an occupied prisoner cell. That's a pretty noticeable amenity in the listing. <laughs> so it's contingent deal. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. He comes with the house. And you've got to keep him alive for as long as possible. Um, yes. And it does say that you have to feed him bones and soup uh, about once a week. <laughs> Not a deal breaker in this neighborhood. Um, That's right. It's a seller's market. You've made a good choice. (laughs) And the thick walls held their secret for many a year. Uh, Hey, honey, what do you think this thing does? Uh, You know what? I I think I'm going to email Airbnb customer service. Tardis the Terrible was a very good episode, Alan. I agree. But while I think some of our later episodes are actually getting really, really good, one of my favorites is episode nine, which is Getting Billy's Goat. It's a tale very close to being about football, but it's mostly about rage and coaches disappointed in love and college parties involving axes. Here's a little bit of Getting Billy's Goat. His theory was that every man had a temper stored away somewhere, and it only needed a touch on the hidden spring to start it off. Uh, the prostate? <laughs> the, that's, that's the hidden spring of the body? Shh. Don't tell. Not in public. It was a fool question for me to ask. If there was one line where Tom considered that he was strong, it was with the ladies. Well, it ain't football coaching. (laughs) He wasn't far. You got to get mad out there. (laughs) And when it's time for the quarterback to snap the mad, you got to run the mad to the mad zone. (laughs) She was so confident they would be delighted and so absolutely unconscious that she was causing the slightest uneasiness in either of them. They tried to say the right thing and left her to wait for her girlfriends who were going with her to the game. And when they joined us at the locker room, they were like two full-sized hurricanes done up in quart bottles. Oh, (laughs) quart bottles of hurricanes, man. That was a crazy (laughs) night at Senior Frogs. Nobody but I knew what the trouble was, and I didn't guess but half of it. Tom sailed into us in true football style, and the talk he gave us was a lyric. I've never heard nor read of a speech before a battle that could touch it. It put fire into us as if he was pouring it in with a dipper, and we ran out on that field ready to consume all that we touched. Oh, God, this does not make any freaking (laughs) sense. For today, we go out not to compete, but to triumph. We are united. We are one. Don't ever fucking trust a woman. They are devils, evil salamanders. Um, Protect the pocket and get those TDs on three. I, I need a moment. I'm, I'm just too inspired. There was a big bonfire on the campus that night, and everybody, co-eds and all, attended. At about the middle of it, there was a cry for an axe, 
And as I vaguely remember, <laughs> it, that's, that's what it says, a cry for an axe. That's what it says? It says cry for an axe. And as I vaguely remembered having seen one around the corner of the grandstand where the carpenters had been working, I went for it. Are you kidding me, man? <laughs> a college party and nobody brought an axe? This is lame. <laughs> All right, guys, who spiked the punch with an axe again? Come on. Hey, um, we're going to have an axe pong tournament <laughs> coming up, okay? Now, we already told you the concept of interrupted tales in the intro. One person reads, the other person makes jokes. But I like to think of it as a one-upmanship game where we try to make the other person laugh and break character, or characters, depending on the story. And there is something you do, Rob, that just gets me every time. I <laughs> edit out several minutes of breaking because of it. And here it is. Mac, that's the government. And besides, they're dealing with military rockets. And did you ever hear of the government perfecting something before private industry? Well, what about waiting in line for obnoxiously long times? They seem to have perfected that. Hey, anyone been to the DMV lately? Oh, Come on, am I right? Anyone? You could be right and not be funny. <laughs> <laughs> the Alan King story. <laughs> Suddenly his glance leaped away toward the long brocaded portieres that separated the room from one adjoining, which was his study. Who's there? He demanded in a voice, brittle and alert. Brittle and alert. The Ruth Bader Ginsburg biography. <laughs> for me, Alan, for some reason, I always laugh at your D&D &D jokes. I, I cannot get enough mentions of gelatinous cubes or uh, <laughs> any kind of dragon. So uh, here are a few times when, when Alan's uh, given me a little bit of insight into his middle school years. Now I picked up a pail full of seawater and poured it into a large funnel that protruded upwards from the wooden casing. When the water had all vanished into the interior, he came around to the front of the casing and turned a valve. A moment later, a bucket he had placed on the floor began filling up, Sherman Hever lifting the bucket so that the water would flow noiselessly down the side, motioned me to listen. I heard in the interior of the apparatus a soft, continuous sound, similar to that which might be made by tiny grains of something slipping down a chute. Now... I want to assure you that this apparatus does not contain a baby gelatinous cube, and it most definitely is not drinking the salt water and pissing out a clear substance that tastes like tap water. I wish I didn't have to keep saying it, but, you know, ugly rumors. You're going to tell me that's what Dasani is, aren't you? No, that's smart water. <laughs> She sent her off to Switzerland, under the care of a dragon, whom she had engaged to keep me and other dangerous fellows at a proper distance. 
Okay, now, according to the monster manual, the chromatic dragons are evil and the metallic dragons mm -hmm. are good. Okay. I think it's the crystal dragons that are busybody governesses. <laughs> they, they make the best busybody governesses, actually. Well, that's what they were bred to do by the arcane wizards of Tiamat. <laughs> Running out of Dungeons and Dragons knowledge. Upon hearing of what had happened from George Fitzmoyne, an intimate friend of mine, I at once threw up my visits and started in pursuit. I felt confident that Lady Mary was favorably inclined. In fact, I had certain proofs which... But no matter... Uh, certain stereoscopic daguerreotypes, if you catch my meaning. <laughs> and that if I won her heart, I could break down the old lady's opposition. I should certainly have succeeded in my enterprise and been at this moment the husband of one of the most beautiful girls in England, but for a very curious and unfortunate circumstance, which placed me in an unfavorable light in Mary's eyes. I was not to blame. It was just a bit of bad luck. Oh, very bad luck. You know, she caught me fucking her governess. But, you know, how often do you get to say you stripped a crystal dragon? <laughs> Not often enough. Now, Alan, we call this the show that usually ends because a lot of these tales don't exactly have the standard structure you might expect from a short story. They're very, very old stories, and some of them don't strictly have plots. Uh, like The Great and the Small, for instance, where two cowboys race very slowly while listing off small towns they pass by. Or Mystery Eyes Over Earth, which is basically an alien's TPS report about the state of 1960s Earth. Let's uh, give it a listen. I think you'll understand. Jones rode at his side with the ease of a man long accustomed to the saddle, rolling numerous cigarettes. Occasionally they carried on bits of conversation, though both had settled to the grind of hard, all-day riding. <laughs> Still sitting on your ass? Yup. Me too. From this point, the highway follows the railroad for some distance, passing through little towns every eight or ten miles. Yeah, you gotta watch out for those small-town speed traps if you've got an out-of-state horse license. They, I... They, they'd like to target you. I just can't wait to hear the name of every single one of these towns. Okay, well, get on it. At Tabletop, where, <laughs> is it the, the, uh, where Dylan stopped for lunch... The only talk of the race seemed to concern that little roan horse. The mention of only one horse puzzled him, but he found the answer to that later in the afternoon. An hour after leaving table to Tabletop, he overtook Pathfinder. And after talking a few minutes with the other rider... Oh, yeah. You feeling extreme testicular discomfort from all this <laughs> riding? Yep, me too. Our receivers picked up the newscast of the sighting and translated. Arnold's description of having seen what looked like saucers led to our craft being thereafter named Flying Saucers. Um, um actually, um, if I can interrupt, um, Mr. Arnold reported that a cigar-shaped craft flew like a saucer skipping across water, and it was misinterpreted by the press as being saucer-shaped. I mean, I, I expect better accuracy from teenage super science stories, my good sirs. Let it go, dude. 
Well, on the subject of fatality, it is with regret that I heard of the disintegration of Paltov Vezik and his craft some days ago. Palta and I were boys together barely 300 earth years ago on the Symphony Lake Plantation. Ah, the good old space plantation days, where the living was easy and the space cotton was fed into the space cotton gin to make space sweaters. Space plantation, and the living is easy. All right, Rob. I think we both know we've come to that point in a clip show where we just play a bunch of unrelated bits for padding purposes. Yes. So hit it. Pad away. There were several other occasions. He, of necessity, held Polly Armitage's hands while he was teaching her the proper way to grasp a niblick. <laughs> Whoop! <laughs> uh, Bonnie, uh, the, the niblick, if she doesn't grasp it right, I mean, it's a niblick, you know, a, a niblick. Honey, 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 look, it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime ch- chance. We've got a niblick. I'm grasping her hand. It's never going to happen again. Who niblicks anymore? You can't find Niblix these days. I didn't. Not really by TV either. The fact is, she isn't born yet. But you know, Alan, uh, this is actually a good segue to uh, that it's time to do the ad for our new sponsor. So, um, Okay, go ahead. Let me get the copy here. Introducing America's newest dating app. It's called Fetal Attraction. That's right. Fetal Attraction. The first dating app by the unborn for the unborn. Okay, I think I need to talk to our sponsors. Oh, this is going great. Why be born and wait 20 or 30 years to settle for someone when you can be matched up while still in the womb? Okay. Get ready to set your status to in utero and in love. It's going to be really hard figuring out the bumper music for this. (laughs) Fetal attraction. We pair you before your parents can bear you. Mm. I think that went pretty well for our first ad. Yeah, yeah. Now we just gotta wait for that sweet audible.com money to come in. But the face of Deborah was sad, for the village policeman had laid a charge against her before his chief to make her account for her possession of a large number of seagulls' eggs. Uh, <laughs> no, not seagulls. That's a gateway egg, Rob. <laughs> to take... What's next? Goose eggs? Oh, Oh. gosh. To take which the law of the island had made a punishable offense by an act of Tinwald passed to protect the seafowl from extinction. Uh, To better preserve the native fauna, including all varieties of flying rats, especially ones that shit all over everything. (laughs) I, it's the reason why Save the Seagulls is not a popular charity in this country. <laughs> the eggs, all fresh and newly taken from the nests, had been found on Deborah's dressing table. How do they know? Uh, yeah, Chief, I cracked them all open. Every single one as fresh and tasty as the day they were laid. <laughs> I'm just doing it for the investigation, Chief. Oh, won't it be fun to see the things in our shoes in the morning? The goodies that boys love. Scorpions. (laughs) We've narrowed it down to Arizona. And another said, 
My, but we have a big fat goose at our house, stuffed with plums and just brown to a turn. And he smacked his lips as he thought of it. Oh, I'm going to get me one of them goose plums <laughs> so juicy and goosey. And, oh, man. <laughs> juicy and goosey. <laughs> just how I like it. Oh, just dip it right in the goose. <laughs> the goose juice. Oh, my. Where's the head waiter? She asked sharply. Pardon, mademoiselle, but uh, he is waiting on some ladies upstairs. What a nuisance, said she. But you'll do. I want to give him an order. Stay. Come indoors and I'll write it down. You are hereby requested and required to relinquish command of an extra thing of ranch dressing. And also, are you sure this is diet? She disappeared, and I sat on, wondering how I was to get a sight of Mary. Okay, all right. Number one, keyhole peepery. <laughs> okay. Number two, I'll get this down. Remote viewing. No. <laughs> Number three, some kind of elaborate mirror puzzle like Laura Croft would solved. I like it. I think all good options. One of the things that we decided early on here at Interrupted Tales is to cover a lot of different genres instead of just focusing on one. But if you want to jump into a category you love, here are a couple of suggestions using a lot of the genres that keep popping up over and over. Uh, for instance, uh, if you enjoy romance, you could listen to episode seven, Her Husband, a tale of misconstrued infidelity and poor coat management. Or if you prefer suspense, you could listen to episode three, The Test. A ghost story, question mark, about a pretty bad doctor and a worse criminal system. There's always science fiction as well, such as episode 13, Two Weeks in August. A what-if tale about vacationing on Mars with irritating office co-workers. It's essentially office space, but with Mars. And if you enjoy mystery... You could try episode 11, A Chance Clue, where a bumbling detective almost foils a lot of bumbling crooks and their evil molasses factory. Oh, big molasses. You can't fight big molasses, Alan. Yep. Well, folks, that's the end of this introductory episode, and we hope you like what you heard and subscribe. And join us next week and every week for another Interrupted... You forgot all the other genres. There's episode six, the gold mill. That's the one with Fred Schneider impersonations. There's the holiday special where we ruin Santa. Uh, and then that one where we talk about how much mule is in 20 Mule Team Borax. Hey! 